Good evening. Uh, welcome to the first long COVID hour of 2024. And uh, we're going to talk about Pod Save John today. And if we run out of things to talk about with that, we can uh, chat about um, our hopes and dreams for 2024. So um, I will read the rules and then we'll get started. And it looks like just a few of us today, but uh, some regulars and hopefully some of you will come up and chat with me to get the conversation going. So the rules, as always, are uh, no misinformation, no hate, no attacks on patients, allies, or participants. Uh, I would say John Favreau is none of those until he joins. But uh, once he joins, um, if he joins, then, you know, don't attack him. <laughs> No minimizing COVID or long COVID and three-minute max uninterrupted speaking time. Cool. So uh, with that out of the way, I can, like, catch everyone up on what's going on with hashtag PodSaveJohn. Uh, but if anyone's interested on in coming to chat about it, uh, you know, raise your hand at any time. So this started a couple of days ago. Um, Bernie Sanders you know, probably one of his staff members tweeted that uh, he was um, testing positive for COVID and was um, working from home to isolate in accordance with CDC guidance. And then somebody, I don't actually know them, I don't follow them, tweeted that, um, you know, they quote tweeted Bernie. Uh, I'm sure like millions of people quote tweet Bernie all the time, but um, this guy quote tweeted Bernie and said something along the lines of like, you know, fuck this, talking about working from home, working through a deadly and debilitating illness. And, um, you know, I, like for those of us who are in long COVID Twitter or zero COVID Twitter, like that was pretty basic. But John Favreau, the host of Pod Save America, one of the most popular podcasts out there. Um, he's a former Obama staffer who started this podcast. It got big during the Trump administration when a lot of Democrats were fed up. And uh, he tweeted, um, I should read the actual tweet. I don't have it in front of me. But he basically tweeted like, I can't believe um, there are still people on here posting this impressive stamina. Um, yeah, so that, uh, pissed a lot of people off because basically Bernie Sanders probably shouldn't have been working through the illness. And even if he was probably, it wasn't good to like role model that behavior and someone being upset about that really didn't deserve to be punched down on by somebody with 1.4 million followers. Uh, and then I think it was also, it seemed like an opportunity to, um, you know, make this more of an issue and get uh, Pod Save America to listen to us. Um, they've never really talked about long COVID on the podcast, even though it's a you know big issue, a big political issue. Um, and that's sort of representative of where like the center left Democrats are. Uh, they just, you know, don't talk about the pandemic anymore. Ignore it doesn't matter if there are new variants, doesn't matter how many people are getting long COVID, doesn't matter if there are no treatments. Um, they just don't want to talk about it. So this seemed like an opportunity to get them to talk about it. So Alice Wong, 
uh, started this hashtag Pod Save John, and a lot of us jumped on the bandwagon to get it going. And I think the message of Pod Save John started as just like talk about long COVID on Pod Save America instead of ignoring it and then punching down on patients on Twitter. Uh, but I think it's evolved to be, you know, more like a larger conversation about um, disability and how it's um, treated and viewed by like center left Democrats who are in power with Joe Biden. So, you know, they're the ones in power. Cool. Uh, so that's the summary. Uh, the latest is that John Favreau just um, tweeted again about Pod Save John uh just bitching about it and complaining that he doesn't like the attention so i guess sorry john uh <laughs> yeah pretty pretty weak sauce we we definitely have not heard from him or anyone from crooked media which is the company that produces pod save america that um you know that they're going to do anything positive or productive here uh apparently John Favreau just says free reign to bitch and moan. So that's it for my uh, summary. Hopefully others can fill in the blanks. And let's open it up if anybody wants to come on and chat. Um, Charlie, I see you're here. Thanks for joining. You've been doing a great job of keeping the hashtag going. And I, I don't think Alice Wong will be able to join. But uh, she's been like the main driver behind this. Um, if nobody wants to chat, I mean, I, I've got personal thoughts about it that I can share, but uh, I'm hoping this will be a conversation. So please join me. Um, and I, I can also throw out there, you know, if if uh, you don't have anything to say about Pod Save John, I do want to um, also chat since it's like the first day of the year. Uh, would like to hear about, you know, what we're hoping to achieve this year in terms of uh, long COVID work. Hey, Charlie. Hey, how's it? Sorry, I almost forgot about this. But yeah, I think it's so awesome. I mean, I think it definitely evolved. And to me, it's also the first time I've seen like the complete mastery of who Alice Wong really is. Because apparently this is something she's done, I think, throughout her career. But I don't think we've really seen it in our community um, really since, you know, the pandemic. I think this is something that she has become known for um, in the disability community, uh, you know, prior uh, to a lot of us kind of really being present on here. And it, it's cool just to see that kind of, uh, kind of, I, I don't know, if genius is the right word, but just that kind of like response take place and manifested how they yield the internet in such an effective way to kind of use an opportunity to you know, elevate, you know, our cause and discussion um, in a way that I think it really hasn't been all season long. You know, I think it's been hard to get long COVID topical. It's hard to get COVID topical. And this was kind of just a lightning in a bottle moment where we were able to use this opportunity to, to, to drive the conversation. And yeah, I don't, I don't think 
or I don't think anybody expects that we'll get a full episode on long COVID how, or that John Favreau will change his mind. However, I definitely do think that the whole crooked media team and Pod Save America are kind of checking themselves um, on this stuff and, and thinking and, and, and kind of evaluating their vulnerabilities. However, I think the bigger message is like, this is a perfect example of how out of touch uh, regular Democrats are on this issue and how out of touch, uh, you know, politics has been just uh, on this issue and especially, and also just on how bad they've been on disability issues as well. So I think it's been, I think it's, to me, it's just been totally fun and awesome. And there's just been so many incredible, thoughtful, uh, like, replies. Like, I've learned so much personally just from reading all of this stuff and people providing all of their uh, knowledge and experience. And also, I think it's the first time I've also experienced, I think, uh, NPI message this to me that we've seen, like, solidarity and action, like, really take place and benefit you know, all communities. Like, I think that's really cool. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's awesome. I think it's fun. You know, I, if I think it's, it's already accomplished, you know, more than I could have thought. And I think that's awesome. And it, it it's just, it's, it's made my wheel spin about like, how can we use our online presence like this more often, you know, and how, and how can we be, take advantage of being chronically online and, and making ourselves heard, you know, in this very direct and specific way in, in other instances, you know, moving forward, especially since we have a, an election year coming up, like there are going to be a lot of opportunities to interject ourselves into the discussion. And I feel like this was just a really cool example of how that can you, and the fact that he responded just now just shows it's just pissing him off so bad, which is so awesome because that means like he's been getting blown up about it a little bit. And so he, even if I don't think he has the humility to digest everything right now, I guarantee he's thinking about this more than he ever has. And that probably in due time, he may change his mind a little bit, maybe not, but definitely his circle, his team, his, his company I think is recognizing this as a vulnerability for them. And I think the, 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 the bigger part is that the, it's a vulnerability for the whole party and, and especially for the 24 election. Thanks, Charlie. That's awesome. And then thanks for carrying this forward. I think like you and Alice Wong have definitely been like the main two people pulling this together. Um, yeah. So for anyone uh, just joining, it looks like we got some new people. We're talking about the, the pod save John uh, hashtag campaign that's been going on the last few days um, in response to some pretty ignorant tweets from John Favreau, the uh, the host of Pod Save America. Yeah. All right. Um, and and Charlie uh, just joined. He's not like the guest speaker for this. If anyone else wants to come up and talk, uh, this is an open forum. Uh, Chalice. If I'm pronouncing that hey, right. Hey, yeah, great. Thank you for having me. Um, uh, I just wanted to tag on what Charlie was saying about how to capture this lightning in a bottle moment. Um, having run for office previously, I know a little bit about creating a comms calendar. And I wondered what the community would think about kind of creating just 
you know, a running list of topics that we can tweet on, hashtags that we can tweet about, you know, whether it's developing um, better antivirals, treatment as prevention, any of the latest research, anything like that. Um, I think that what this episode has shown is that we can get a lot of attention when we just pick one message and stick to it. Um, and so if we can continue to employ that strategy via some kind of calendar and organizing that way, I think it could be really powerful in 2024. And I'll, I'll jump out at this point and let you guys talk about it. Before you jump off, can you say more about like what that calendar would look like? And I think you were saying it from a political campaign. So I'm not really sure. Um, there are several ways to organize that. You could have a Google Doc. Um, you could, you know, go really old school and kind of, you know, have everybody on the email chain in case, you know, Twitter goes down permanently. Um, Slack is a really good organizing tool. Uh, you just want to make sure that, like, let's say this week was, you know, hashtag pod save John. Um, what if we decide next week is about, I don't know, masks or testing or hashtag everyone is vulnerable, you know, whatever the message is we want to pick. Um, for that week or that area of focus or whoever we want to, um, you know, grab attention from that week, just focusing all of our efforts in one direction creates a much louder, bigger impact than, um, you know, perhaps kind of all of us sharing random articles that we find and, and things like that. And so as far as how to organize that, um, there's just so many different ways that I think that, um, you know, several would be effective. I don't, I don't really know um, how to say which one is better, but just a, a central place to organize what the messaging might be like. We could talk about what the messaging might be like here and then um, kind of decide collectively. I don't know. These are just thoughts. I, you know, <laughs> I'm happy to help, but I don't, I don't know that I have more than that right uh, now. Oops. Sorry about that. Dogs. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that thought. I think something that's been um, special about this one is it's like we've got celebrities, like we're we're tweeting at a celebrity. We had Alice Wong kick the whole thing off, and I, I consider her a celebrity. Um, and I think that helps us like get outside of our our little bubble that Twitter forces us into of just like minded people. Um, so I, I think as we're if we're thinking about future uh, campaigns that we'd hope to replicate this with, then um, that might be part of what made this successful. Uh, all right, Aaron, I'm going to bring you on. Hey, Aaron, you're connected now. You can uh, go ahead if, if you want. Hi, can you hear me? Thanks for letting me jump yeah. on. Yeah, we can hear Hi, you. Um, uh, look, I'm um, I'm calling because, well, chatting, because um, I'm the mum of a kid who's got like really severe long COVID in Australia and um, I'm actually calling from the hospital <laughs> where we live now. But um, uh, what I'm kind of interested in is whether there's um, a group of people or um, some, some even some interest in a, a more kind of... Um, a global approach. I think the beauty of things like Twitter is that it does allow that ease of um, communication between people in different countries. And um, 
in Australia, we don't have the same kind of advocacy um, organisations um, that you guys do, but we really desperately need um, some some more active advocacy in the space. And, um, yeah, I was just interested to hear whether or not people have um, ideas around that or what they think could work or how we could set some of those things up to be productive for us over here. Anyway, I'll jump off. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Erin. Uh, you're definitely not the only one in Australia. I personally know um, multiple other people trying to do some long COVID advocacy who are based in Australia. So uh, maybe you guys can get together and put something together there. And I, I do like that uh, this time lines up with the Australian morning. So we get to hear from all of you too. Uh, COVID persistente, uh, you, you should be connected now. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Cesar. I'm the founder of the Long COVID group of the Mexica, Mexico Long COVID, Long, COVID, Long COVID group. Sorry, because now... I'm having this weird stuff called uh, serotonin syndrome, which is pretty awful, uh, along with my severe lung COVID uh, friend. So um, I, I I just want I I, I just want to uh, make an 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 how do you say um another and an, a warning a warning to you if you are using some antidepressant please beware of this stuff called serotonin syndrome uh, which is really really awful i was doing uh, fluvoxamine you know uh, late twenties uh, and twenty one, twenty two, uh, fluvoxamine was a main psychiatric med uh, to use in in COVID and have a few studies in long COVID. So uh, we talked with my neuropsychiatrist if if i can if i can use it and and she say yes uh, go ahead we are going to start with uh, 15 uh, milligrams and then uh, we are going to up to 100 milligrams um but also we are the, we are um um with it a ketamine infusion a low dose low dose of ketamine infusions so when when I was uh, at 100 of fluvoxamine, I felt awful, chills, tremors, or all the dysautonomy in my body was explode. Um, when I had this ketamine infusion, uh, the situation get really, really scary. So I was diagnosed, diagnosed with this stuff called serotonin syndrome, and I I really don't know where I am 
I don't really know in in which point I am because I was pretty severe uh, after this, after before, after this. So before I uh, before this uh, cocktail of secret psychiatric meth, I don't know really where I am. I, I I'm looking for. Uh, some other patients uh, who have who has uh, or have uh, this serotonin syndrome because affects the um, autonomic autonomic uh, system nervous. So yeah, it's been uh, thanks. Thanks, Cesar. Um, thanks. Thanks for sharing that PSA. Uh, I know you're not the only one dealing with serotonin syndrome. I'm sorry to yeah, hear that. Thank you. It's been such a problem for you. Thank you very much for the space. Just want yeah, to for make this uh, this warning to if you are using antidepressant meds, be aware, please. Don't want to uh, deal with something like this. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, all right. I want to. Uh, try to take it back to hashtag pod save John, though it's totally fine to bring up other things. Um, Charlie, I had a question for you. And then, you know, anyone else who wants to jump in on this, uh, feel free as well. Um, I, I saw, I think maybe you, definitely Alice, mentioned that like hashtag pod save John is bigger than just tweeting at John Favreau to have a long COVID guest on Pod Save America. Like it, it represents more than that. Um, I would, can you speak at all to like what else it represents? And uh, no pressure. If yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think kind of the, uh, the impetus or not the impetus, but the, like uh, the, the overarching theme of it is it just exposes how out of touch, as I was kind of saying earlier, kind of mainstream Democrats are with this issue and disability issues in general and how they take advantage of certain marginalized communities in their party, but then expect full support, you know, come election year, but then continue to patronize them. And there's zero introspection about it at all. And I think it's not specifically about John Favreau, but I think where he is in, in the ecosystem of all of this how he responded, how he's been totally caught off guard on all of this, just totally reinforces all of our worst suspicions um, about the um, entire situation. And so I think it's a message that um, we're putting you all on, you know, chat on guard, you know, on or whatever the, 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 the term is. Um, and I think that's really kind of the... Uh, overarching kind of message of what pod save John is other than, yeah, it'd be awesome if they did an episode on it. And also I think it allows us to break like so many people listen to pod save America. Like I was, a, I used to be a big pod save America. It's the number one podcast in democratic politics and, and, and probably the number one political podcast, you know, in the U S and so many people are, are following him, interacting with him that don't interact with us at all. And they all hurt us you know, this past week. And so I think uh, 
just from a tactical perspective, from from elevating the conversation to exposing the issue, I think it's there's a lot of different elements. All and I think to me, one last thing is, I look I became very pessimistic, especially the past I think half of this year, that people just really actually weren't listening to us on Twitter, that you know everybody kind of had muted, logged off, moved on, shut off Twitter, and our influence was kind of over-exaggerated. However, I think with a combination of both um, the ex-CDC's director kind of, you know, explaining how every day almost they had to kind of respond to and address specific tweets and situations like this, it shows that Twitter is still incredibly powerful. And, and all of these positions, all these people in positions of power are listening to us and they are feeling like they have to respond. And to me, I feel like this was, a reinforcement and and a, and, a, and a reinvigoration of that this platform does matter and and that's why this platform is so powerful because it does provide that access and and for folks to engage with people in positions of power uh, so directly and so I think that's that to me is super encouraging whether those folks you know actualize themselves you know to, to the to the conversation I care less about. Um, but they're they're listening to us and they're having to deal with us. And I think that's super powerful. I think other people could probably answer your question a little bit more eloquently than me, but that's just kind of my uh, kind of ram- rambling uh, initial thoughts. I'd be curious what other folks think for it, definitely. Uh, okay, yeah, Maya, we got a request from. Thanks. Thanks for uh, letting me put you on the spot there, Charlie, and a very eloquent response. I think uh, I think you're right that like people are listening. Clearly, John Favreau was listening even before Alice Wong started this campaign because he was the one who really started it by tweeting uh, in response to somebody from the COVID community. So, uh, okay, Maya. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I just wanted to echo that it's also really nice it's a space again for a community what other people are saying but also a place to sort of channel for like larger frustrations that tie into it like all the ableism from politicians all different examples it's kind of been a space to sort of just like vent all of this and people you know if they follow the hashtag hopefully they can not only you know it's sort of i've kind of given i'm not super hopeful that he'll change his mind i mean i i do hope that it's possible but I also think other people will see it and I hope other people will have an opportunity to sort of learn about the challenges of this community and what ableism looks like. Because even people who have become sick, even people who are disabled, you don't unlearn ableism right away. And so we've seen people who say, oh, well, I, you know, that kind of tokenism of like, well, I'm sick or I, you know, like I have a friend or I had some lung symptoms, but they went away. That's not the same as your life has been derailed. You know, you've had to unlearn. You've come face to face with this institutional societal like marginalization, right, that makes you less than this gaslighting. Um, and so it's been like a cathartic um, hashtag to sort of just like the here's all the stuff I'm so angry about and so thank you thank you um, Charlie thank you Alice for starting this um, hashtag yeah totally agree it, it, it was cathartic uh, for me too to like know somebody was listening and to be able to yell at them a little bit but I, I did it very politely and very respectfully and that, that's what makes it so absurd that he's responded the way he has 
I, I think one other thing is like, I'd say almost all of us probably at some point have been called out like he's been called out, right? Like, especially in the long COVID community. I remember my first few years, you know, we would get called out regularly for the disability from the disability community. Like, like you guys are saying ableist shit. Like you guys are, you know, you know, yada, yada, yada. And we would respond like pretty similarly, right? We'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, don't tell me like you guys are, this is ridiculous. You know, like, oh my God, like, don't tell me how to talk about blah, 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 blah. Like you're so out of touch, blah, blah, blah. And so like, I think he's responding pretty naturally, especially, especially how people respond to criticism on Twitter. However, after getting, you know, uh, called out so many times, I think a lot of us decided to try and learn something from it. I think there's definitely a lot of us on here who are still choosing not to learn anything about that and trying to choosing not to mature and, and stick and choosing to remain in adolescence and all that kind of stuff. But I think a lot of us have learned and grown about how, where we are in our illness intersects with so many aspects of the world. And I think, however, I think a lot of us responded, you know, uh, defensively at first as well. I think John's doing the same thing, even though he should be bigger than that, considering his platform and who he is. I wouldn't be surprised. And if, if this is actually a learning experience from him that he's not willing to admit or course correct until later due in time. But I think the way he's responding now being very defensive, no, I didn't do anything wrong is the way I've responded in the past about language I've used about, uh, uh, concepts I've unintentionally perpetuated all that type of stuff. Um, and so I am not convinced that his response now is indicative of what his response eventually will be. I, I think he has learned from this. Uh, it's not clear, you know, has he learned to unlearn all his ableism? You know, probably not yet. Has he learned to speak more carefully about this issue? I think so. I think he got burned, if nothing else. And he's going to, uh, you know, maybe be afraid to touch the stove again. But yeah, more than that, I, I think time will tell. Um, yeah, I would love to hear from others, you know, like what you think um, Pod Save John is doing. And um, to the extent that it represents more than just asking John Favreau for an episode on long COVID, what, what else it represents. Uh, and feel free to come up at any time, just request to speak. Uh, I, I will throw in my two cents that like, uh, I think it, it's a, really about like democratic politics. I, th I think we, we all realized a while ago that we'd been abandoned by the right. Uh, I think there was some, you know, like maybe the leftists would do something, but they haven't really picked anything up and the mainstream democratic, you know, like, uh, at least for me, I was like, I was on the left end of things before I got sick, um, but more mainstream. I listened to Pod Save America. Uh, I went to their live show in D.C. a few years ago. Um, it was awesome. There were like 5,000 people at the Anthem. Uh, it was just like a packed crowd. People like jumping up out of their seats like it was a political rally. It was intense. It was great. Um, I loved it. And I, I always felt like the the Democratic Party was the party of like rationalism and compassion. 
And I don't feel like that anymore. I do feel like they've uh, abandoned us. They're not listening to us. And they don't, you know, this isn't an issue they care about. They don't take disabled people seriously as anything other than a nuisance. Um, and uh, I, I think this this needs to be a wake-up call to more than to, to more than just John Favreau, you know, at least to his other co-hosts. But also I would hope, um, you know, that everyone on in that area of the political spectrum who uh, has just moved on from the pandemic and forgotten about us all. Oh, hey, do you mind if I jump in? Yeah, anytime. Um, I wondered if anybody had seen that um, Reverend Barber in North Carolina, that clip about him being denied access to a movie theater. Um, he has ankylosing spondylitis and he had brought in a chair to sit in and they called the cops and it was a big deal. And what was interesting about the um, the press conference was, and I promise this relates, <laughs> was that he was talking about how he didn't realize how often people with disabilities were discriminated against. And I think that Reverend Barber might be a really important voice to try to rope in on this because when he speaks, people do start to listen. And maybe it's also a good idea to start identifying other people out there to target with hashtags or to target with campaigns. And if I could nominate a person right in this moment, it would be him. Okay, nice. Maybe we'll add that to the, uh, the calendar that we'll put together. Yeah, I think, Charlie, you've done a great job I've seen in the past of like anytime any minor celebrity tweets about anything COVID adjacent or long COVID adjacent, you're like, you reply, maybe send them a DM and use it as an opportunity to uh, get a little bit more attention from them. Because celebrities, especially on Twitter, I mean, they, they have power to get the word out. So uh, yeah. All right. Sita, I'm going to bring you on. Just give that a second. Hi, Sita. You are connected. Hi. Um, I just wanted to add that, and I think it's kind of already been said, but um, this is really an opportunity, I think, for all of us to realize that, like, disability voices have been hidden and ignored for so long, and, like, this issue is so much bigger than just long COVID, and, like, a lot of these things are called invisible illnesses because people get hidden away in their home and they don't even have a way to, like, find a voice. And then long COVID came along and suddenly there's, like, tons of us and that number continues to grow. And, like, giving that voice to people who have been here long before us and joining voices and making this so big that like people can't be ignored because now we have social media to mobilize and to plan and strategize and all really get together and like demand that seat at the table demand like that we are heard and our needs are met at like bare minimum and i think that to distance ourselves from other disability communities is harming long COVID and our progress. And the quicker that we become a ginormous team that can't be ignored, the quicker all of us get there. So I don't know. That's just my two cents. Hell yeah. Yeah. 
no, I, I've, I'm always been a fan of that. Um, the disability community is, is so much bigger than we are and it's, it's more unified than we are. And certainly, uh, like they, they haven't quite brought us into the fold yet. Um, but I think if we can partner with the larger disability community for things that represent all of our interests, that would be the best. I, I think that's super interesting and compelling. And it's something I've been thinking a lot more about. And I think myself and a lot of folks in the community have had this mindset that kind of regardless of the context to which long COVID finds itself in um, and regardless of how much we're willing to acknowledge that and understand that um, long COVID will be dealt with because it's such a big problem. There's so many people and um, the scale will force kind of a tipping point. I am now becoming more skeptical of that. And I think that is a naive position. Maybe it's still true. Maybe there will be a tipping point and maybe the sheer volume and, and, and uh, scale of long COVID will force it. But I'm now reflecting more upon this is already such a big problem. There's already millions of people and it's still being ignored. If like, what's it going to take? 30 million, 40 million. I mean, I don't, I don't know anymore. And now I think what I'm thinking more about is I think we as a community need to reckon with the larger structural questions that make long COVID so difficult to grapple with as a society more seriously. I think we need to take into consideration, you know, is the perception of chronic illness something? Is, are, are we just swimming up against all these different undercurrents that we've chosen to ignore because we have found them stigmatizing? We have found them uh, uh, scary. We have found them uh, kind of potentially, you know, unattractive uh, that we thought we could just ignore them because of the scale. When the reality is I'm, I'm sitting here scratching my head and I don't see this. I don't see this changing. And I think we need to work more against those undercurrents about uh, these themes that lead to situations like Pod Save John. Because I uh, think that is what we really may be up against is those issues. And I maybe it doesn't matter how many of us there are. That the fact is that we are suffering from a disability, an invisible disability, uh, a, a chronic illness, and we have all of these greater structural issues that make us a very unattractive thing to talk about, a very unattractive thing to invest in, and a very unattractive thing to take seriously. And I don't know that just adding more of us is going to change that. And I don't know if getting biomarkers, universal biomarkers, is going to change that either. I think that's going to help research. I think that's going to help treatment. But I don't know if that's going to change how society treats us. I don't think if MECFS uh, finally gets a biomarker and, and we get a biomarker, it's going to change. There's plenty of chronic illnesses with biomarkers that still are treated just as poorly. And so I think this has also made me think that we need to really think through where are these fights happening? How can we use long COVID as a window as a bridge to the rest of the world to say, hey, I know you thought you could ignore disability issues. I thought you, I know you thought you'd never be affected by, you know, disability policy or issues, 
The long COVID is a perfect example of why everybody should be concerned about disability issues because everybody can become disabled overnight and millions of people are. And I think that's where we as a community should think a little bit more about how do we use long COVID to fight these greater undercurrents we're up against rather than trying to use long COVID to feel like we have a big enough boat and enough paddles to swim against the undercurrents. Because I'm just not sure it's possible or it's easy. And I think we as a community need to swallow that bitter pill. I think mean, a lot of us have, but it's something that I probably didn't truly reckon with until this year. You know, the, I, the first 2001, 2002, I was definitely 2001, 2000, 2020, whatever the numbers are, the first three years, I was definitely like, oh, this will be solved. It's such a big problem. But I've just, you know, I've been humble time and time again. And I don't know that numbers are, are going to change this. And so that's another reason why I think Pod Save John has been so uh, awesome because it's, 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 it's using long COVID to, to draw a conversation about these greater issues. And if we can get people thinking about these issues and do some damage to that context, it's going to make all of our advocacy efforts, which we really need to continue to invest in, that much easier, that much more uh, effective. Thanks, Charlie. I'll just answer your implied hypothetical question or rhetorical question there, and then we'll go to Maya. Um, there, there's no number of people short of a majority of Americans who have achieved political consciousness that would change this issue because we're, we're just a inconvenient minority. And if we're a larger minority will just be even more inconvenient and there there will be even more of a desire to ignore us. I think we have to learn from other uh, other marginalized communities and other political movements about how to be heard anyway, even when we're not a majority of people. Um, and we have to like learn those tools and use them. Yeah, and that segue is exactly what um, I was gonna say, piggybacking off of what Asita said. You know, yet we absolutely need to be part of the disability community and ally and align ourselves with all the justice um, areas of justice. You know, disability justice is all of the, all of them, you know. Um, and then also kind of what um, we're saying, too, is, you know, in a way, I see people getting angry that, you know, it, people are uncomfortable when we're speaking up. They want us to shut up. And that kind of makes me like, okay, we've actually done our job because they're listening. They're angry, but they're listening, you know? And so they're uncomfortable um, and they don't want to be uncomfortable. I totally get that. I, a hundred, you know, it's lovely to live ignorance is bliss. Um, but sort of that's sort of like, yeah, I get that you're angry at us for bringing this up, but you're listening. And so you're proving our point that this is actually working. Yeah, hundred percent. That's what I was saying. The one thing we know for a fact is he was listening, and he didn't like it. And you know, that's a start. Uh, your business, Bizkind Mistress, you should be connected now if you want to go ahead. Hi, um, I'm wondering if people might be interested in. It seems to me that the Pod Save John tag is now kind of. Um, you know, a signifier of visibility and erasure in the communities. And I'm wondering if we might not want to keep using it. Like, 
just anytime we're posting about our own stories or about research or, you know, just all of the different conversations we're having, if we don't just keep the tag going. No, I like that idea. I would say if you're like posting about your toes hurting, like you may not need to put the hashtag on that, yeah, but yeah, uh, if you're that. posting about disability, about being heard, about, uh, you know, anything like that, uh, yeah. about the importance of this, of, of giving attention to this condition, I think it's a great hashtag. I think we have the right to use it at least until uh, John, you know, changes his attitude or does what we were asking and brings an episode of um, about long COVID and and disability and COVID uh, together on Pod Save America. You know, I, th- I think we have the right to do that. Um, Sita, did I see your hand before? No, it was just my fat finger trying to do the emojis and accidentally put it up. My bad. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Um, all right. Well, uh, I think I want to hear, yeah, we talked a little bit about this just in, in passing, but like, um, where we're at right now is, you know, John is listening, but being stubborn, uh, we're not sure who else is listening. We're not sure how much momentum this hashtag has left, but, uh, we want to see how far we can take it. Um, and we talked about like maybe putting a calendar together so that we can stay aligned and organized on future, uh, like communication strategies like this, but, uh, you know, where else should we go from here? Um, like we, we built some momentum. We've got Alice Wong on our side. Uh, where should we take this from here? I I'd love to see more alliances with more, um, communities. Like it'd be awesome. Like where's the labor community at? You know, like these are people who have significant power, who have significant influence and our issue directly impacts their issue so much. And uh, I think all communities, including the disability community, has not done a good job of recognizing um, or figuring out what to do with with long covid and I think, though, I think when we are reaching out to them and we are making our case to them, I, I think they've been receptive. And I think they're willing to acknowledge that maybe there's been a blind spot for them, there's been a vulnerability for them. But I think we as a community really need to get rid of this scarcity mindset, like, like pronto. This idea that the moment we're partnering with somebody else, they're eating half the pie. Like, I, it's so toxic. It's so dangerous and it's just so wrong. And um, really what we need is we need more people helping us. You know, like like, like, what just happened was people helping us. It wasn't us helping them, right? And I think we need to think through where are there uh, more opportunities to, you know, raise, you know, the tide for, for all boats here. And I think that's something I'm trying to think more about and I'm trying to think, you know, where, who uh, are some of the more obvious pre-existing, very established communities where we could strengthen relationships and keep, uh, you know, this type of spirit, 
you know, alive. I really agree that the signifier is established and it should just stay. I think anytime there's this, you know, especially when there's an example of this type of arrogance or ignorance about this issue or just lack of knowledge, you know, it's just, you know, stamp it, you know, you know, till, till eternity, totally, totally on board with that. Just play whack-a-mole. Uh, all right, let's go to Eliza and then Ali and then Chalice. Hi, I'm calling in from Australia as well. Um, I just wanted to add to this, looking at like, what has this hashtag done? What are potential future actions? Where have we been? And then what what could the potential hope be for 2024? And I want to reiterate and add to this idea that there is much more that unites us than divides us in the disability community. And that um, I think we can spend a lot of time having really important conversations on differences and particular needs of particular communities. But I think when it comes to shifting wide scale political power and political misconceptions, which is really what we're up against globally, um, which is just such a massive giant to be facing, um, I think it is wonderful when we can focus on what unites us. Um, and I've, I've been encouraged by that actually this last year, 2023, seeing more of that. Now, in light of that, what I'm also seeing and what my uh, slightly optimistic and slightly pessimistic prediction is for 2024, I think we are building momentum towards um, col collaborations that can start to hold some powers to account and can begin to lay the groundwork for bigger change. I also think that what we're dealing with is paradigm shift, not only paradigm shift within the medical community, absolutely, um, obviously, huge, huge battles to be won there on misinformation and misconceptions about what these diseases are. But we're also looking at paradigm shifts socially. Um, and I can only speak particularly to the Western world, but I, I do know from some friends in Japan and other places, it's elsewhere as well. But social shifts around disability, how we deal with people who are, in inverted commas, unproductive, um, how we talk about life expectancy and usable years. You know, these, these are, there's terms in economics that has built society over the last um, few centuries that really we are flying in the face of them and calling into question those structures. And I think whenever we face paradigm shift, as you start to build momentum, we actually get more opposition and it can be really disheartening. So I just want to encourage people that there are a lot of people working on this and the more that we're having these conversations like this conversation today, the more that we align with what we have in common, I do think that we eventually can prevail. I think 2025 is going to be an amazing year for this. I think 2024, 2024 could be a really big year of battle, um, especially in terms of hitting this crisis point in, in paradigm shifts because we are calling into question a lot of norms that have been accepted as norms for a long time. And that could be really challenging, but there's also, I think, a lot of hope in that. Um, and that were just my initial thoughts. The other thing I was going to add is specifically with the Pod Save John hashtag, that's quite specific to the US. As someone who's outside of that, um, it's still definitely been on my radar and still been really encouraging. So I just want to say that never discount, um, you know, a particular action and how it could be then sparking for example, some of us in Australia, or I'm also usually I live in Italy, um, to have their own hashtag campaigns and their own, you know, targeting particular people or targeting particular issues. We have come a long way from the beginning of 2020 when a lot of us were adding 
and disability to every tweet that talked about hospitalizations and deaths and we added and disability this is also a third outcome we've come a long way from that that is on some radars now we have created a social construct that believes the pandemic is over and that is not true um, and we are challenging that um, so I do believe that these hashtags make a difference and I just want to encourage everyone on this call to keep going um, and to keep finding solace with each other as well as you go that's all <laughs> thanks Great. Yeah. Thanks, Eliza. That was um, amazing for walking us through all of that. And thanks for joining from Italy and Australia and wherever you might be. Always great to have you. Um, all right. I think I said I would go to Ali. Hello. Hiya, guys. Hi, Ali. Oh, hi. Um, thanks for connecting me. Hi. So, yeah, I'm I'm in the UK. Um, I've been listening for a bit. I'm sorry, I might have missed um, some of what happened earlier. So this may have already been covered. But uh, yeah, thanks for that um, really positive um, <laughs> comments, Eliza. Um, I think probably like many people, um, these kinds of issues uh, we've been thinking about for a while and uh, you can get into a bit of a... Um, kind of doom spiral about it because um like many people I've probably gone through that whole thinking of oh well you know what will it take for people to start kind of getting it or paying attention or you know like how many people have to get ill kind of thing um just for, from my point of view um just wanted to add I don't, I don't know how many um I, I personally I've I've had ME um for quite a long time and I, I became uh uh, quite severe about 15 years ago or so and then uh, unfortunately uh, at the beginning of the pandemic I got COVID and I've now got sort of long COVID it made my ME, uh, MECFS uh, severe again uh, anyway just, just some context so background uh, at the beginning of the uh, pan pandemic uh, you know you're kind of it's been really really surreal and many other people have probably also had this experience of seeing this become like kind of such a major thing that in theory everybody was talking about like for a little bit anyway I realized that people are no longer generally talking about it now but you know like the idea that all of these new people basically were out there getting MECFS um which is something that I first had as a teenager got a bit better and then basically when I was 25 I got too ill to do anything um uh, since then uh and uh yes yeah, the idea of happening on such a massive scale when I realized that people with long COVID, um, some proportion of them anyway, obviously everyone is sick, but some proportion were going on to experience kind of what I'd been experiencing uh, with ME. Um, it's just been quite traumatizing. Um, and so uh, I was, I guess, I think a lot of us were quite ho hopeful at the beginning and thinking that there might be some change, seeing that everybody was paying attention to this issue. And from my point of view, this kind of like hasn't really happened. Um, this is what I was saying about the about the doom spiral. Like you kind of feel like um, the the kind of erasure and the kind of like it it feels like the opposite because it feels like everything that went wrong with MECFS has been uh, sort of like people are trying to now inflict this on everyone with long COVID instead of learning lessons from it and kind of making sure not to make those mistakes or having that not happen to everyone. It feels like this is kind of happening, you know, like 
all of these kind of wrong ideas like oh you know we're going to fix it everyone's going to be cured of like positive thinking exercise whatever it is you know all of these really harmful ideas and all the minimization and the kind of you know this is all psychosomatic kind of stuff it's been quite difficult to see that and I guess I was kind of hoping where this tags into like pod save john is um for me this is about like kind of this hashtag has been about in effect hope because like at the moment I've just been sitting around like basically nothing's going to happen and the, one of the more difficult things about this situation is seeing the lack of um sort of in effect the kind of people that you might have expected uh support from you know kind of fairly mainstream left-wing voices or whoever it is like like the pod save america people or you know whoever it is on tv whatever it is there's just been kind of you would have expected something and also maybe uh you know if the political situation was different um and and donald trump hadn't lost the election or something like that you kind of think well maybe <laughs> maybe if it was an opposition they would kind of say something you kind of have these thoughts but basically it just feels like no one's said anything or there's been some kind of silence or some kind of erasure and it's been quite difficult for me to get my head around um what uh, what's what's happened you know like when i saw this um i feel like this is much bigger than this one incident with john Favreau. i feel like you know or they're just trying to talk about one person i'm not sure that the issues are getting across like because i've just seen the responses again and I, I i'm not sure that it's getting across or or listening or or whatever in some ways i hope that somebody listens to the voices of people the audio rather than just looking at at tweets um you know because it's like there's real people behind all of this really struggling and you know personally you know i'm 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 housebound and my mom's actually just become sick as well she's just got covid and become disabled as well from her infection just now uh and so we're, we're all struggling and you know um for me this is about about trying to get um the attention not just of activists everyone's trying to do their best of 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 uh of people that are basically not not part of the community or not part of it yet and i i i struggle knowing how to do that and i was just wondering if I, if you guys knew you probably do whether there are actually any examples of people like this that is anyone listening like um are there any examples of anybody reaching out with something like this you know like pod save john or or something like that um in in any in any case because i've seen a lot of tweets at people and it in some ways, I kind of understand mm -hmm. why why you might ignore. Sorry, like, please cut me off if I'm going on. I'm just yeah, like, I'm going to cut you off there. Thanks, yeah, yeah, thanks yeah. for sharing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, thank you so much and, for and your perspectives me and, and questions. Thank you for all the comments. I'm sorry for what you've gone through for so long with me. You know, I I I am one of the that proportion of people you were talking about that developed me after COVID, and I always think you know if 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 your group of pre-pandemic ME patients had been treated differently and given the attention they deserved, how my my own situation would be different. Um, and, and, you know, the millions of us now with yeah. it. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's tough. You know, in, in terms of the, like, that moment at the beginning of the pandemic when you felt like things were going to change, yeah. you know, that, that was really, that was a newsworthy incident and maybe the inciting incident. But change takes time, and it's it's more than just a news story. I think it, it's going to take us 
building a political organization, yes. building a coalition with other um, disability groups and other patient groups and, you know, making sure that we're heard. It's not mm-hmm. enough for there just to be a lot of people and for the news to talk about it. That That's not enough for anything to change. But I think now that we, you know, there has been some time and we have built some organizations and uh, gotten smarter about this, you know, I, I hope that things will begin to change. All right, mm-hmm. let's go to Chalice. Thank you. Hi, thank you. Um, just very quickly. So you asked kind of what else we could do or should do. And that was kind of where I was thinking about this. And since we have some um, folks uh, from around the world uh, listening in, which is exciting, I'm, I think that's a great thing. Um, one thing that we might consider is that all of our politicians, no matter you know where we are, are looking for a win. They're looking for something that they can say that they did well. Um, and there's, there's not a lot we can point to right now, I don't think. Um, but I think that when we can unite around someone who is doing the right thing or moving in a positive direction, I think that that kind of positive peer pressure can be effective, you know, in a political campaign for change. Um, that's, so that's one thing when we notice somebody doing something right, let's, let's amplify that hugely. Um, the other thing is that I think that social movements that have been very successful in the past have also recognized the intersection of, um, you know, that issue plus class, um, long COVID and disability writ large, these are, these are class issues um, because anybody can become disabled, but the most severe effects of disability are compounded so much when, you know, you add unaffordable housing and when you add um, food costs and you add inflation and you add, you know, holes in social services and the list goes on. And so I think another thing to think about when we're moving towards organizing topics is how to address that intersection of illness and class and access, because I think that is a powerful message to people maybe whose politics don't necessarily always align with ours, but who similarly feel let down by our governments um, in that way. You know, maybe somebody who is fully abled and really well and, and doing okay with their health feels like maybe they don't have the access in other ways and they can start to identify that aspect of conflict in their lives with what it is to experience long COVID or disability. That's all I needed to say. Thank you so much for the time. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Eliza? Um, Thank you. I really appreciate what you were saying there, Chalice. I think you're absolutely correct about um, about that. It's really, really true. I wanted to speak briefly, if I could, to Ali's question around are there examples of people who have changed their mind? And just in case it's encouraging, I thought I might give a few examples if that's okay. So in my own experience, I'm similar to you, Ali. Actually, I had ME before the pandemic. Um, I'd been very sick when I was in my early 20s. I then had the apparent relapsing remitting form. I had several years of not being full health, but really being able to live a normal life. And then I had worsening with infections. Um, and then I've also had um, injury with the vaccine, unfortunately. Um, and, and I mean, have been in a very significant relapse the last three years. So in my experience over this almost 15 years since I was first infected, um, 
it, there are examples of people who have changed their mind and I take courage in that. One example would, I'll give three quick examples. One is recently I was talking with a group of scientists and I won't name them just because I know this is being recorded and I haven't got permission. Uh, I was talking to a group of scientists in Australia who are not in the medical field, but experts in really fascinating areas of sort of ecology and just really different things. And as soon as we began to have a conversation about long COVID, um, ME, POTS, a whole host of uh, conditions, especially infection-associated chronic diseases, and laying out sort of some of the things that's happened to the research, how research has been hindered, um, political aspects, like their minds were blown um, at the injustice of it. And I just thought that was one conversation. And these are three people now. I see them now sharing things about long COVID on Twitter. Um, that's only been in the last month and they've absolutely, it's now on their radar. So it's great that we're having these conversations. There are people out there very willing to change their mind. Two other examples on a smaller scale. One is someone in my extended family who was compassionate about me being sick, but didn't understand my strictness around really not wanting to get COVID and being very, very strict with my protections and layers of protection. It's taken a few years, but just recently they did attend a New Year's Eve celebration, um, but they made sure that it was a small celebration. They asked everyone to have it outside. They made everyone test. They brought extra tests with them so that if someone turned up and said, oh, I didn't test, she made them do a test at the door. And then she must, in, whenever she went inside to use the loo or anything like that. Um, and that's someone who three years ago really didn't think that this was going to be an issue. Um, and I wasn't even at that gathering. And yet everyone else at that party now has been held to account to have a safer, you know, it's never zero risk, but safer version of a gathering. Um, and then a third example would be in extended family in Italy, um, managing to get them to get really large scale HEPA filters into their workplaces. Um, and the original justification was because they go to work unmasked and then potentially come and visit me and they do mask when they visit me but me adding extra layers of protection in their workplace but how many other people in their workplace are now having an extra layer of protection because they've taken that action acknowledging there that there's an element of privilege in being able to buy HEPA filters these are expensive pieces of machinery that I believe should be covered on a more organized scale by government and community but um, you know just just some examples that's just like recent examples of people who have changed their mind or taken action even if they hadn't fully changed their mind yet. So every conversation we're having matters. It is possible. It is also really challenging. I think we're going to get a lot of no's before we get yeses. But if we keep banding together, um, I think there is hope for this year. Yeah, thanks. Um, uh, okay, on that note, let me let me turn the conversation a little bit to uh, today's New Year's Day. Uh, so looking back at the last year and looking ahead to the next year, you know, what are your, um, hopes for the year? What are your goals? And maybe what are your fears that, uh, you know, are on your mind? Um, and, and I want to open this up to anyone here, whether you've been like following along with the pod save John stuff or not, uh, just thinking about long COVID on January 1st, 2024, um, what what are you hoping for this year and what are you afraid of this year? 
and I, I will go first. And then, um, you know, if any of our current speakers want to jump in, that would be great. Or if anybody else wants to come up. So um, I got sick in the middle of 2022. Didn't really get involved in the community until um, the beginning of 2023. So I sort of think of myself as having like one full year of being around in this environment and thinking about um, not just like my own illness, but uh, this community and this movement. Um, and I think 2023 was frustrating in a lot of ways. Uh, coming in, I felt like I felt like we had momentum already. Uh, and I don't necessarily feel like we have much more momentum now, if any more. Um, but at the same time, uh, it, it's been amazing to see all the work that we've done in the last year the the moonshot work um the work around uh nih recovers clinical trials and their like exercise trial um we've seen you know new organizations form like the sick times uh we've seen uh and like the long covid office in the department of health and human services um which I think either formed or got its act together in 2023 and got its um, first director recently, I think. Um, so I, it feels like a lot happened. I, I don't know if we have more momentum, uh, but, it, you know, I, I feel like the community did a lot of great things and it's too soon to say what will come of it yet. And then looking forward to 2024, I'm like hopeful that something will come of it, uh, that, um that work with like the NIH exercise trial will lead to at least a better exercise trial that screens carefully for PEM, um, maybe. Uh, and that we, we saw that extra $200 million be given to NIH to continue the work of Recover. And I hope that will lead to a lot of great research. Um, that's one thing about Recover is like the, the headlines are the clinical trials, but the research money just pays for the salaries of every long COVID researcher involved. And they're able to do all sorts of research in their lab with that money. So even if Recover continues on in its current state, um, I think that's a good thing. Um, and we got a lot of new clinical trials launching. I'm hopeful that we'll see some results and that those will get wrapped up soon. Uh, I participated in a clinical trial and I have my final study date uh, at the end of this month, and I was one of the last participants, so they're starting to wrap that up, um, and I'm hopeful that we'll have results for that soon. Um, so, I'm, yeah, I don't know. I guess hopeful that something will come of all the work we did last year, hopeful that we keep that work going, um, and that we start to see some of the results of the the, uh, the research being done. Okay, Ezra, I saw you come on. Hey, Daniel, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Amazing. Hey, everybody. Um, happy New Year. Thanks for hosting this. Um, I think this is going to be an interesting year. Um, let's start. Let's start with the, the things I'm worried about. I'm really um, concerned about the size of the current, <laughs> the current wave. It just feels like everybody, everybody's got COVID uh, right now. And um, I think we we on this call know why that's so concerning. We know that there will be, you know, somewhere between five and twenty percent of people um, 
who join us um, in this club that we don't want to be part of, but here we are. Um, you know, I think I was, I thought the comments earlier were really astute on like, will having a larger group of frustrated people uh, make a huge difference? And I think that's unclear, but it's, it's sad that this isn't going away. Um, I'm also, you know, to be a little US centric, I am sad about the recover money running out, even though we know that um, recover has been disappointing for a lot of ways. It is a thing that can be pointed to. I also think that's an opportunity for us to say, hey, it's running out and uh, we need more, which we've been working on. And I think the probably the thing I'm just most confused and frustrated and a little catastrophic about is just the way that uh, politicians and culturally COVID is like an untouchable topic now. Like it feels like even just bringing it up makes people's like they they either tune out or they just become totally defensive and reactive and i think that's just a really really hard force for us to to work against um but there's i think there's things to be hopeful for as well i think that like even just seeing how much COVID is going around like a lot of folks they didn't expect are acknowledging it again and they're a little bit more open to it and people are still people still don't want to get COVID even if they're not taking any precautions or anything people still don't want to get COVID so there is something there it's a, it's not logical there's like a cognitive dissonance toward it but there's something there for us to kind of work with I think what makes me hopeful is I really hope that by the end of the year we see some results from some of the most interesting and, and um, potentially most revealing uh, high quality pharmaceutical clinical trials that are running. Um, if you haven't listened to the conversation that Daniel had with Stephen from Post Viral Trials News, I think it was like in September, uh, he, he listed like a bunch of the ones that are really interesting and I'm watching all those really closely. I also was in a clinical trial. I was in the Stanford Paxlovid trial, which hasn't even been unblinded yet, but it's been done for a few months. So they should be reporting out in the next few months. I mean, that it's, it's done. They're just doing the analysis. Um, and, you know, I'm not expecting that to really change the game, but I think that the sense I get is that we've been waiting for results from these initial trials to plan the next trial. So it's just like, a, you know, another excuse to, for inaction. And so I'm excited for those things to be more public. I think the thing that really makes me the most excited and is just this, is just hearing from so many intelligent, thoughtful people on these spaces um, and who are working behind the scenes, not talking so publicly. There are a lot of people, researchers, um, there are people you know, in, in congressional staffer offices who do know about us and who do care about us, but are struggling to, to break through. I mean, we have some allies who do care. And it's, I think this is, this is the year for us to really catalyze that movement in the way that we've, we're seeing with these spaces, with Moonshot and with everything else. So that's the thing that like when I'm losing hope for myself, I go back to. The other thing, I'll toss out like a, you know, a little bit of like a um, black swan kind of thing. But I think that there is going to be a moment where somebody really, really famous um, goes public about having long COVID. I think it's, I think there already are people who are very famous who have it. There are definitely like B and C tier people who, who do and who have talked about it. But I think that there, that, that when we finally get a celebrity who is really open about it and becomes a member of the movement, not just somebody who acknowledges it, 
I think that might make a huge difference. It has for other diseases. I think about like um, Tom Hanks, uh, when in who got COVID in Australia before everything really started to lock down over here. And like that really, like that moment, the Magic Johnson moment is something that I think is coming. And I think it's something that we should be ready for. So I know I'm really rambling here and I'll wrap up here, but I think that there's like, yeah, there's some bad, but I think there is some good. And I think we need to celebrate the steps forward. They may be small, but we, we will build on the momentum. And I think that it's really important for us to, to try to stay positive as we can and, and try to work together um, on all this. So yeah, sorry, I went so long, but that's what I've been thinking about. Beautiful. Um, Kelly? Hey, everybody. Happy New Year. Um, sorry, I did join late, so apologies if I if this was already said. But to your point about um, things that you're excited about, but also things that you're maybe afraid about for 2024, I think it's great to see the progress that the hashtags made and people coming together and uniting. I know I'm worried about how many new people may be joining the disability community or the long COVID community. And just something that I wanted to say is I think it's really important to try and find a way to be as welcoming as possible to all those new people who might be coming in. Um, and I'll use myself as a personal example, just because I was disabled long before COVID. And it took me a really long time to feel um, comfortable enough identifying that way. And then even longer feeling comfortable enough to advocate. And I know that right now, especially with all the trolls and with all the stuff going on, it can be it can be really scary to find your voice and be willing to speak up because there's a lot of people just waiting to sort of, you know, trounce on you when it happens. And so and there's nothing we can do about that. You know, we, we're never going to stop the trolling. And I know I heard someone else. I'm sorry. I don't know who it was speak about how like a lot of people just they just don't even want to hear the word COVID anymore. So, you know, your emotions run high when you add that into the equation. But I do think we need to unify as many groups as we can, like disabled and marginalized, et cetera, because the more unified we are, the more likely we are to see larger traction happen. And also, I think it will allow people, perhaps like me, who, you know, wasn't comfortable speaking up for so long to be willing to speak up. And once in a while, not often, but once in a while, when I share something and it does well, I do get a few people commenting who identify as allies. And that's, that's specifically what they say. Like they say, they still have their health, they're fine, they have no disability, but they've decided they want to be disability allies, COVID conscious allies. So they're masking all the time, they're fighting for clean air. And I think that's really important because you, you never know who you're going to get that might be able to impart change somewhere in the world, in politics, et cetera. But I do want us to be as welcoming as possible when we see that, because I think there may be a lot of people who are paying attention, reading, listening, but too scared to say anything. And I, I want to make sure that people like that, you know, don't feel that fearful and, and get a relatively warm welcome when they do opt to speak up, if they do opt to speak up. So that's kind of where my hope is, because I do think we will see, unfortunately, a lot more people becoming disabled. But that will also bring a lot, new, a lot more voices and a lot more opportunity to build community. Thanks, Kelly. I want to put an exclamation point on what you said about new people joining. You know, I, I, I never know how many more people are going to join uh, the long COVID community, but people are always getting long COVID as long as COVID is as rampant and dangerous as it is. and. Um, I think for those of us who have been in this a long time, we may feel like we know all the people we want to know 
and we have our circles and our own little communities here. Um, but if that's what it had been like when I got sick in uh, August 2022, you know, I, I wouldn't be here right now. And it was because people who had been sick since March 2020, uh, you know, welcomed me, got to know me, helped me through everything I was going through, taught me what I needed to know, trained me in how to talk about long COVID, um, that I'm able to to do this. And I think that I've been able to, you know, give my time to this. So uh, I, I know there are going to be other people like me who join in 2024. Uh, and you may feel like uh, you already know everyone you want to know, but it, if you can make a little bit of an effort to welcome them, uh, get to know them, ask about them and help them. Uh, that's, I think, going to be how we like build this movement in a very like boots on the ground way. Um, okay. Uh, did anyone else want to speak about uh, like looking back at 2023 or looking ahead to 2024? Um. I would I would say something if I may. Um, building on what Kelly just said, one of my words for the last sort of eighteen months has been grace, um, which I fail at every day. But trying to have grace, um, especially when like medical practitioners start to post and say like there was that paper recently that was like, did you know that before the pandemic there were people that maybe had long term consequences from influenza? And sort of like all of us who have had flus and stuff that less of disables were just like, oh my gosh, are you seriously still learning this for the first time? But trying to find room in there to have grace that, well, they are learning it for the first time. And once they've learnt it, often it does, it can mark the first brick being laid in a pathway towards greater understanding and even greater action towards what we're dealing with today. So that's something I've struggled with, but I'm trying to do. And I think that plays into the welcoming of new members of the community as well and understanding that it is never anyone's fault when they get this disease. It is always sad and always devastating for every single new member. So like, how can we show up for them and welcome them even if they say things that are agitating because they're still undoing their own internalised ableism. I mean, I'm years into this and I'm still undoing my internalised ableism. So grace has been a word that I will stick with and keep trying to learn the skill of it. Um, but I think of that in the context of like the Pod Save John hashtag, um, I think it is very natural for people to kind of dig in their heels, someone like him, for example, to dig in his heels and like be offended by the response but maybe we have opened a little doorway in his mind to just have a question mark that maybe there is something to this and that if he did then turn around and say, I got this wrong, long COVID is a big issue, I want to be part of the change, is there a way, is there a pathway then for us to welcome him, him into the activist community um, or activism community uh, with, with grace to say, okay, he got it wrong until now, but now that he's on board, how do we guide him to be an ally? Um Looking forward, I think, though, one of my years this year is is, is fight and is really fighting for change, especially um, in the Australian landscape. I've been doing what I can, but because I was so severe the last couple of years, I really couldn't do very much. And I think something that I need to reflect on and be interested to know how other people reflect on this as well, but it is a constant battle to balance my own pacing and energy 
um, with the need to fight. <laughs> and so fighting for a future that I hope to have while actually not having capacity to fight for it is something I struggle with, um, but something that I hope to get better at as a skill in 2024. Thanks, Eliza. Um, yeah, the I think we all struggle with that. Like, we we wish we had more energy to put into this, but the very thing we're fighting for is more energy. Uh, and the the only thing that I can say is you're you're not doing this alone. Uh, on the days when you don't have ener any energy to fight, that's okay. The fight continues on. Uh, we're we're doing this together. Okay, uh, let's go to Maya and then Charlie and then NPI. I saw you were trying to join. Um, sometimes we've had issues with people who don't join on mobile. So my only suggestion is, uh, make sure you're trying to join on your phone. Uh, other than that, feel free to DM me and we can work out, uh, the technical issues. Okay. Maya. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think the, the, you know, tying in the 2023 and the pod save jump, one thing that made me really hopeful was like seeing masks come back in healthcare settings. And people were so upset and angry at us for, you know, keep hammering on masks. And the fact that they brought masks back is like, okay, messages are getting through. Just even though people are angry at hearing our messages and annoyed at us for keeping talking about it, like change is hap can happen, you know. And so that kind of ties it up. And you know, hopefully, we, you know, I think we're 2024. We're going in <laughs> roar, the year of the dragon, hear us roar. Yes. Love it. Charlie? Yeah, I think this year we the, the, the most painful thing about this year was we all had to reset our expectations as a community. Because I think in 2022, long COVID was really in mainstream media every week for, for, for quite a few months. And we were really winning the narrative. We had a lot of political capital. We were thinking this paradigm shift, which I do think is happening. I do think there is a paradigm shift happening. I just thought, I think we all thought it was going to happen much sooner. And I think at the end of 2022, the beginning of 2023, we realized, oh no, this is not going to happen as fast. And once the moment the government said the pandemic's over, people were really fucking happy to just completely ignore everything we've been working for, for the past two and a half years. And I think the community was really angry and mad and blaming each other and, and other people and all this stuff because of that situation. And it was painful. I think it was a painful year for all of those reasons. However, I think it was a year where we had to kind of, kind of realize that a lot of us were going to have to step up and have a more offensive, you know, um, attack. And that, you know, the cavalry isn't coming, you know, and that we were going to have to force answers. So I think a lot of the stuff that happened this year that was so inspiring came from the patient community. The Long COVID Awareness Day was incredible. Um, you know, Miles and, and folks starting the sick, time, the sick times is so awesome. And these are, and that's going to, you know, uh, these, these are assets that are going to just exist you know, moving forwards for the community and all the different, you know, uh, grassroots stuff, the moonshot, um, all of the, and all of the, the billboard campaign. Um, so I think there was this realization that we need to get organized. We need to get mobilized. And I think, uh, 
it was just a lot. I think it was a growing pains year. And I think next year we're going to really probably figure a lot more of that stuff out. And we are going to kind of refine, you know, our approach in our, in our attacks. And I think we're probably going to have, you know, some successes. And, um, so I, I, I feel optimistic about 2024 as well. And we have all these trials that are going to finally come in. And I think there's a good chance that one of these trials, you know, shows something. And I think the moment we get a trial that shows something that might help further, you know, the paradigm shift, you know, even more so. So I, I feel optimistic. I feel like it was a growing pains year. And I feel like next year, you know, we are going to be able to move past those a lot. And we're going to be able to provide so many more opportunities for patients and allies to engage in our fight. And we're not going to be grasping, you know, knocking on doors, say, asking people, how do we get people, what do we, what do we give these people to do? You know, there's that there's, hopefully there's a lot of different opportunities and flavors for folks to just plug in, because I still think that's what we really need. And I think we're working on developing that. And I think as long as we can continue to hold, you know, our community accountable to focusing on those things and, we're not just sitting on the sidelines, you know, chirping at everybody who's deciding to, you know, get in the garden or whatever. Um, I think that stuff is going to work itself out. But I, I feel like there was just this collective realization that we that Calvary wasn't coming. We're gonna have to, we were going to have to figure it out, and it sucked. But there was just so much awesome stuff that happened because of it, and we just had to kind of reset our expectations. Yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, over to NPI. I'm glad you were able to join. Uh, you'll be our last speaker and then I'll wrap up. Hey, thank you very much. Um, I just want to say that I was excited and inspired and very motivated by Alice Wong and everyone from Greater Disability Community for supporting us and for running the hashtag. I have heard of like solidarity and how important it is, but I've never actually realized it until two days ago when I saw Alice Wong basically spending so much time um, helping us. So I just wanted to thank all of them and thank Charlie. Thank you. Yeah, perfect way to end. Uh, thank you to Alice Wong and Charlie and everyone else who participated in the Pod Save John uh, campaign. Not too late. Keep those tweets coming. If it's related to uh, you know, anything with that little incident, but also anything related to disability justice, solidarity, how the disability community has been treated and seen during the pandemic, and how they're looked at by uh, our supposed democratic allies, um, you know, but use that hashtag. Okay, so just to wrap up, thank you to all of our amazing speakers today. This was this went really well. I really enjoyed this conversation, um, and it left me feeling energized to keep this campaign going. Um, Happy New Year's, everyone. We'll be back next week. We're going to do a film club soon, and I think we're going to do... I, I previously announced a No Ordinary campaign, but it, I don't think it's out yet, so we can't do it. Um, that was my bad. We'll do a movie that's out yet. I'll, I'll announce it um, in a tweet and it would be great if you guys could pass it around to get the, the word out so everyone sees it in time for the film club. Uh, we're also doing like a little film club chat on Discord. So if you're interested in participating in that long COVID hour film club chat, 
uh, DM me and I'll send you the link. Cool. Uh, have a good week. Stay safe, everyone, and see you next week.